I'm right and you're wrong. Once you start labeling people, categorizing of humans and ideas, you have desensitized yourself to the humanity of that other human being, to who they really are. And in the marketplace of ideas, these things are complicated, man. We all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints. A genuine multicultural connection with another. I mean, sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree. You just need to sit with it and digest. If you're joining us on Instagram Live, tonight is a Friday night live where yeah. every Friday night, or when we can be bothered, <laughs> we jump on Friday, we jump on a live with somebody or multiple people and get some different ideas, different yeah. perspectives, and just Bit continue of a different format to the to different the format podcast and continue a conversation with you know ideas on the ground level, which yeah. are like normal people. You don't have yeah. to have. 50,000 followers yes. to chat to us. But if you do, that's fine. That's fine as well. <laughs> uh, so we're recording this one. We normally don't record our, uh, in our Friday Night Lives, but we're recording this one because I thought, hey, why not? Yeah. Keep, keep the content. Yeah. And Eddie Hippolyte is joining us. He's actually been on an earlier episode called, oh, I think it's Racism and the Great White Lie. Yes. Yeah, that was I one. think that's the one. Yeah. And so... Good, good morning to everyone joining us on a, on a live. We've, we've just got Eddie up uh, in light of our previous conversation about racism we had probably a year ago. So it's been a while. Yeah. And in the meantime, in the last week, well, we've all... Things have kicked off. We've all turned on the news <laughs> and seen an absolute explosion in the United States. Yeah. So kind of over to you, Eddie. How, what, do you, what, what do you see? What, what are you seeing right now and, and what do you see and what do you think is important? Like wherever you want to go is kind of what we want to talk about. Uh, well, in the, in, the, in the States, what you see is it's the unmasking of, you, you actually see the unmasking of, of number one police brutality. I think there's a way in which the American media has a way of humanizing the people the, the policemen who kill black people and demonizing the 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 black people themselves the victims themselves they go through a whole process i was actually just looking at something on social media where they just haven't taken that just just literally i was watching looking at a, um a interview um about george floyd where they're interviewing george floyd's partner and they're interviewing george floyd's um child and they are humanizing George Floyd. And it's, it's, it's amazing how they're going through the process of human not, not humanizing George Floyd and demonizing the police officers. Which, which is a big flip, eh? Because normally, like, I don't remember seeing interviews of... of... They never do that. Because, but I think th there was no way for them to not do that this time. Uh, most deaf, most deaf in... He's from his album Black on Both Sides. Um, the, 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 the track is called Mathematics. And he asked this question, why did one straw break the camel's back? Here's the secret. There's a million other straws underneath it. And I think this was the one, this was the one murder <clears throat> that no one could justify. I think even in even in even in a conservative's mind or in a liberal's mind, there was, you know, because of the way black people are uh, portrayed in the West period, not just America, just the West period, there is something within their mind that says, well, they must have deserved something in order to, they must have done something in order to deserve. There must be a reason to justify this horror we're seeing. 
the force. Oh, he had a he 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 signed a dud check for twenty dollars, or he was alleged to have done that. Well, that kind of justifies the force. All right, he tried to resist arrest. Okay, well that justifies the force. But by the time we pick up the story, we pick up the story seven minutes in, and he's on the ground, and there's two, one on his legs, one on his back, and there's one who's just murdering him in front of us, and another officer is standing up stopping. So even in the most liberal of minds, they're saying, okay, all right, well, okay, you've made your point, officer, you can get up now, and... The officer's yeah. staying there. And they said, no, come on, officer. All right, all right. You, you can get up now. You can get up now. And for the first time, America had to just face the fact that, no, they murdered him in the streets. And they murdered him with an yeah. ease that he... He murdered him with an ease with, with no fear of reprisal, no fear of it blowing back yeah. on him, that he could make up a story, yeah. that he could do what he normally does. And then when you look into the backstory... Um, the Asian one who was stopping everybody from looking, he's got 15 counts and 15 um, citations against him. The one Chauvin himself, he's got multiple. You know what I mean? They haven't said anything about the others. And I think America had to just sit there and face the fact that, yeah, the police murder black people in the streets and they murdered them with an uncomfortable ease that structurally they're allowed to do. Structurally. There's a structure that allows them to behave in this way. What we're seeing is we're seeing the exposing of that structure. Yeah. So that's um, that's something that um, you, you say it's a structure because there's like three or four other cops there and there's nobody saying, hey, come on, buddy, like it's time to get no, there's. It, I'm saying like, it's a structure because the police are sitting there comfortable enough and murdering them in, in the midday, in broad daylight on the street. There's a structure, there's a structure of law. There's a structure of, it's structural racism that allows the police to behave the way they do with impunity and just kill people with no fear. They know, all right, even if, I, even if they arrest me, I'll go to court, I know the unions will get me off because the, the, because the Supreme Court protects my behavior. It protects my behavior and covers my behavior. And so, you know, and the other, and the other, the other three, they're, they're just comfortable with going along with it. Don't worry, we'll get away, we'll get away with it. And um, so I think what, 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 what we're seeing what we're seeing in America is just a complete unmasking of it, um, and I think with the with the um, with the protests that you see worldwide, that you see worldwide, I think it's the unmasking of this Western structural racism that you see. That's why you're seeing marches everywhere. That's why you're seeing marches everywhere. When when you're talking about the unmasking, right? That that something something comes into the forefront that was previously invisible. What are the stories that, that have been unmasked? Like I've already, I've, I've seen, I've heard you talk about two just now that I've picked up. There's, there's the story that always says, well, if there's force, the black person must have done something. That's the assumption. Well, what did he do? 
and then so that's the story of of black people in general when it comes to encounters with police that's that's at play there well what did he do and then and then it's probably justified yeah. but then there's black, that black people equal bad so he must have done so something he must bad. have deserved yeah. it on some yeah. level and so that's one story that's just come out and gone well that's not true yeah and then there's this other story of the myth of redemptive the myth of redemptive violence that myth of a justified force like yeah. is a force like that ever justified and that's that's another kind of story that seems to be unmasked. Are you seeing any other like things being unmasked because of this? You know why people always say, well, I don't see color. You saw it then. You saw it then. That's what it looks like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it looks like. The thing that you don't see, that's what it looks like. The, things that, the thing that you, you're able to conveniently avoid, that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. This white person's ability to comfortably murder a black man in the street, just comfortably, and not even think about it, and literally not even think about it. Then look up at the camera, like Usain Bolt did when he was crossing the line in the Olympics. I was surprised the guy didn't smile. You know what I mean? That, 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 that is indicative of a narrative. That is indicative of, of a narrative that says that, you know, for one, of a phrase that is so apt now that that life doesn't matter, that that black life doesn't matter, that black life is not as important because you could, believe me when I tell you, let me ask you both, can you conceive in, in, in America or in Australia, could you ever conceive of a white officer kneeling in the neck of a white person and, and to, for eight minutes, until you couldn't even conceive of that in your mind. Yeah, we, we were talking we were just, about that before. Yeah. We just literally had that conversation yeah. being like, what would happen? I think Cam brought up the example of what was that? Um, the officer that kicked an Aboriginal yeah, boy? Yeah, just a couple of weeks ago, um, a week ago. Yeah. And and if I'm just imagining if that was like uh, like some private school kid or some, yeah. some white kid, I'm just imagining he'd be on the project, he'd be on the pop yeah. news, he'd be yeah. getting clicks, he'd be just blowing up. Yeah. And, it, it just would it the, I can't I can't imagine it because I've honestly like never seen it yeah in America if they if if, if if in America if that police officer did that to a dog and this ain't even me just being grabbing a random example if he literally did that to a dog you know what I mean like you saw that girl I forgot her name in Central Park who called the police on the, on who was calling the police on the black guy People didn't know what they was more enraged by, the phone call or the fact that she was strangling the dog. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Didn't know which one enraged them the more. What you're seeing there is like the peeling back of, what you're seeing there is the peeling back of a narrative that, that basically says that life isn't important. And what you're seeing is the peeling back of, of um, a structural, what you're seeing is the peeling back of a construct and the exposing of a construct that says, yeah, that, that, that life isn't, that life isn't important. Don't worry. You could, you can snuff out that life and we can get to court and we'll deal with that. I can hear people asking, ringing in my ear. I can hear people, what, what is that? Like, what is the system that is, that that narrative comes from? Well, and I even mean like for, for a start, the idea, and this is what I was chatting to you about briefly, the idea of institutionalized racism or systemic racism or systemic stories that 
that allow because it's not just one police officer, but yeah. it, it's a story that allows five or seven officers yeah. to be there. And and it, it at some level it transcends the individual human's capacity yeah. and becomes this thing bigger. And I'm sure many white people just to speak for myself, yeah. the the concept of structural racism or systemic racism, I think for many is only new because it's never thought about. It's never had it's, to be it's thought too about. It's hard to comprehend. Yeah. This is the genius of systemic white supremacy and structural racism. It's designed for you not to think about it. The only time you're conscious of oxygen is when when somebody stops your oxygen. The only time white people become uh, conscious of structural racism is when structural racism or, 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 or white privilege, as it were, becomes uncomfortable for them to look at. That's when they become conscious of it. You know what I mean? So let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. As two guys born here in in Australia, would you swap your life with the life of an Aboriginal? Like you live their life and they live your life. Would you Would you do that? Yeah. No. No. That, no. Yeah. Why? There's nothing appealing about that. <laughs> I mean, you you look at because I'm aware of the the oppression. <laughs> I mean, apart from apart from the statistics yeah. and apart from the life expectancy and apart from all these things, it's like. And that question, what it pulls to the forefront is like, what was I handed that I wouldn't want to give up? And what I was literally handed, and this is, as I've kind of gotten older, the things I've, when I think about like, why am I who I am? You know, I go to Nepal and I see Nepalese people. I'm like, oh, if I was born in Nepal, I would not be me. And these questions start coming. And I, and I just realized like, and I think Cam's similar, like the things that I was handed was... I, don't, I want to be more specific than privilege, but the things I was handed was an education. It's just a head start, I the, think. Uh, like, the reason I have this job is because of my network. It's yeah. like, I'm not inherently more talented than anybody else, but I was, I was handed a network that gave me job opportunity, that gave me a church network, that gave me so many different things that I just was handed. But the construct not only gives you, but the construct also denies it's, it's a construct that gives and denies. It's a construct that gives in order for your life to be full. And you wonder, not you, because, you know what I mean, you've been doing this long enough to be enlightened enough, you know what I mean, to answer that question immediately. You've, you've immediately like, nah, you know what I mean? Which, which, which goes to show that you are conscious of, of a structural racism that exists in your country that disenfranchises them. Take, for instance, now, in the Northern Territories, 99.9% of all young people in youth detention are Aboriginal. Now, is that saying that Aboriginal children are born with a criminal gene? Is that saying that these kids are born, you know what I mean, with a predisposition to crime and dysfunction? No, that's saying that there is a structure that enables, allows, and maintains that. What what I'm hearing from you is that, like, these 99.9% of these Aboriginal kids in detention, it's not that they're necessarily bad. It's that the system forces them into um, situations where they have fewer options other than to end up in something like that. First of all, 
number one. The great problem, and I can't speak for Aboriginal or all Aboriginal. Um, um, I, 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 I do not speak for the Aboriginal community. A, a Aboriginal elder once told me, um, Eddie, we, we, we need allies, not spokespeople. You know what I mean? So I'm not going to be here. I think somebody who would be brilliant for you to get on your um, 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 on your on your podcast is a guy called Thomas Mayer. Thomas Mayer, and he's a part of he's a part of the um, Uluru um, the Uluru statement. You know what I mean? And he would be brilliant to get on. He would be brilliant to get on. You know what I mean? Great intellectual, great great speaker. And I can't speak for for all of them, but the one thing that I do know is that if you see that disparity, then you know that there is they they have fewer access to everything. Their schools are not funded the same. And the greatest the greatest yeah, that's the point I wanted to make. The greatest issue is that people tell them what they need instead of them us listening. Us as people of colour and obviously the government, federal government, local governments, listening to them and hearing them say, no, 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 no. Ten of the things that you say we need, we don't need. We probably need one of them. But here is the list of the ten things that we do actually need. You know what I mean? And it's a system that says, no, 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 no. We are not going to provide you for that. We're not going to provide you with that. Because then if the system provides them with that, that means that that they have their own self-determination. That means that they, they now begin to tell their own story. That means, you know what I mean? So I think I think yeah. it's, it's for us to understand that this ain't just about behavioral science. This is actually about constructs that cause us to frame, that, that, that cause us to frame the existence of people in certain ways, you right. know what I mean? And, and, and keep them within that frame, you know what I mean? Keep them within that frame, keep them within that space. What, what, what do you think are the ingredients to this structure that leads, say, an Australian government or Australian population to deny the self-determination, so to yeah. speak? What, like, what, are the, what are the ingredients? Like, is it a, a, a leftover colonialism that says, no, no, like, we're still the civilised, we know what's best, so yeah. therefore we'll give you two options and you can really only pick one? Yeah. I think it's, it's a lot of things. Um, America's a never apologized. America has recognize their original sin, but they've never apologized for slavery. And why haven't they ever apologized for slavery? When you apologize for slavery, that means that you are apologizing for something that you were conscious of doing. And if you are conscious of doing it, then somebody can bring a charge against you. And if they can bring a charge against you, you can't deny them things like reparations. You can't deny them. So America will never apologize. Now, now um, Australia apologize for stolen nation, you know what I mean? Uh, Australia apologised for stolen nation, but in that sense, it, it only went so far, you know what I mean? It didn't, it didn't go as far as um, Aboriginals being allowed into constitutional law and their space being established in constitutional law. So I, I think what, what remains there and, and what causes that to remain is just this, the, the remnants of this construct I had an Aboriginal a friend and a colleague, and he said to me, Eddie, we are invisible in our own country. This is our land, and we're invisible in this land. And I said to him, you know why you're invisible in this land? You're invisible in this land for the same reason that all Black people in diaspora are invisible. To look at us is to, to look at, I said, to look at you, Australia is forced to look at itself. 
and Australia don't want to look at itself. So it's easier to keep you invisible than to actually look at myself. You know what I mean? Because people will say, well, that was my forebears or that was somebody else. That wasn't me. You know what I mean? And yeah, Aboriginal yeah. people will say, yeah, we know that wasn't you. And we would say in diaspora, yeah, we know that wasn't you. But the constructs that they created, you're still benefiting from. And not only are you benefiting from them, you're denying us our space here hundreds of years later. You know what I mean? So I think I think it's 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 an avoidance. It's an avoidance because because I said to you one time, remember the last time I said the greatest lie white supremacy ever told, it told to white people first. It told to white people about themselves. And then it got them to now use that lie. And the greatest lie was your whiteness makes you greater than these group of people. And then they created yeah. a science around it. They created politics around it. They subverted the Bible and created, they, they subverted Christianity and turned Christianity yeah. into an expression of that. And everything, all the constructs yeah. through education and everything, everything changed people's narratives, everything. But it started with that first lie. Your whiteness makes you greater than all these others. These are others. And then they came and they fed that same line through colonialism, through slavery, colonialism, neo-colonialism, through appropriation, misappropriation, <laughs> through the appropriation of black culture and all that kind of stuff and kind of turn it back in. You know what I mean? Turn it back in. And, and I think that the first place that we start is we start with the exposing of that lie, the dismantling of that lie, so that people can actually look at each other for who they are. They can see each other in their true light. You know what I mean? But to dismantle that, hey, listen, to, to dismantle that, think about the amount of things you have to dismantle in order to do that. And I don't know if people, I don't know if people loves humanity enough, but this is the one thing that I know, guys, about white supremacy. White supremacy is, is um, at its very nature, it is preservationist to the destruction of everything, and white supremacy at its heart will will kill everything. Even even that system, do you think? If it perpetuates long enough, will it eventually kill itself? Like, is it? Well, that's what the two wars. No, 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 no. It will kill people, not kill itself. It will kill people. That's what the first two world wars are about. You know what I mean? Winston Churchill, historically speaking, and then I'm going to let you jump in. Winston Churchill was a white supremacist. But he wasn't a fascist. A white supremacist is a person that hates people of color. A fascist is a people, a person that hates white people too. You know what I mean? And that's what Hitler was. Hitler wanted the destruction of white people too. And they're like, no, we got to... Because that was born out of that whole construct, that Western construct of white supremacy. It's natural to come out of that construct. You know what I mean? And that's why I say white supremacy will be the death of everyone. It, it will kill everybody of color, you know what I mean? And then it will just turn on its own self and kill everybody else, you know what I mean? Because it's preservationist to the destruction of everything. Because your definition of white supremacist is that most people would hear that and think neo-Nazi, yeah. uh, Nazi neck tattoo, yeah, yeah. skinhead, right? Skin They're going to yeah. think, oh, well, I'm not like someone who... Cog consciously believes this in yeah. my head walking around oh there's a black person i'm white so i'm better like but you're talking about white supremacy as 
a way you see the world. It's a construct in which you see the world. Yeah. And right. and the remnants that are left over in the system that maintain a a white supremacy or to yeah. service the needs of like the people who established it who were white and yeah. therefore it's remained over time. And it sounds like the limitation of say, we'll say like for white people to understand the things that you're bringing out and highlighting here, it seems like there's a lack of understanding of the invisible forces that construct the world we live in. Invisible yes. forces like economic yes. security, econ- yeah. like like ec- economic status. We've got yeah. uh, political status. We've got systems that just organize our politics and structures together. These are invisible things that have very real power. That have trickle-down effects, that literally have trickle-down effects. You know what I mean? So a person, a person, a person could be thinking out of just a white supremacist construct of the world with actually a pure heart, literally a pure heart. You know what I mean? Because like I said, like you said, and you rightly said, a white supremacist isn't always somebody that's just got swastikas and that all, yeah, a a white supremacist construct you know what I mean? A white supremacist construct just enables you to navigate the world, not conscious of the advantage that you have over another person, not con- not con- not conscious of the fact that you see this person with an unconscious bias, not not conscious of the fact that you know when you are black people walk with a conscious, uh, black people have to walk within the West with a consciousness of their blackness. Now they don't walk in the West with a consciousness of their blackness in a self-conscious way. They just understand when you turn and you look at me in a certain way. They understand when they walk into an elevator and and when I walk into an elevator and a woman just kind of clutches her bag just a little deeper and I just notice it out of the corner of my eye. You know what I mean? When I and it happened in Newcastle, I walked out of a shop and I walked out of a shop and just ended up behind this woman and she turned and she turned quickly and she looked at me and she grabbed her bag. You know what I mean? Now I'm I'm a good Christian man. So you know I didn't keep my mouth closed. I said, really? I said, like, really, love? I mean, what a backside, really? You know? <laughs> and she kind of just got embarrassed, and then I just kept on walking, you know what I mean? Because you know the truth will set you free. So we are conscious of that. And so we are conscious of the way in which we have to navigate the world. White people only become uncomfortable with black people when they're in that space where they feel that their world is threatened by this perception of this black person that they have been fed unconsciously that they have to now address and they have to deal with. You know what I mean? That's why a black, a white person, when they get to know you, they say, oh my gosh, you're so different. You're so different, which means the way I'm constructed to look at you, you are so different from yeah. that. You know, when people say, yeah. the people say, oh my gosh, you're so articulate. I'm like, yeah. well, I hope so. I've got, got a bachelor's and two master's degrees. I, I do hope I am a little yeah. articulate. You know, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. when, I'm, when I'm around certain people, I can mash up the, key, the Queen's English and do what I do. You know what I mean? So I think yeah. it's, 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 I think that's where we start. You know, all constructs begin with an idea. The idea creates a narrative. That narrative creates a teaching. That teaching creates a practice. The practice creates a policy. The policy creates an action. And the action is what creates oppression. 
So rather than deal with the oppression, you know what I mean? Rather than deal, okay, with the policeman kneeling on, on George Floyd's neck, let's deal with the idea that led to him in, in the end kneeling on George Floyd's neck. Right, so you're just seeing that as as a um, it's like a symptom of the problem. It's not actually the problem. Yeah, as, as sad and as horrible as it Don't is. Don't just put a band aid on it. Yeah, what there is. I was gonna say, Jesus put it this way: as a man thinketh in his mind, so is he. Yeah. So if you want to address the reason why people are disenfranchised and why people are killed, then don't don't address the act of disenfranchisement or the act of murder. Address the idea that in the end creates that. Because if you deal with this, then you'll deal with that. And and we've just got a, a text through from um, uh, Cam's cousin. Yeah. <laughs> and and this is kind of where I wanted to end up because yeah. what can happen with this conversation is is like particularly can, from a white point of view. Yeah. If, if you're going where you, I think you're going from a white point of view, we hear this. Yes. And we say, "Wow, that's horrific." Yes. What can I do? What exactly? What what can I do? And that might be the better a- outcome. But then yeah. the other thing people might hear is like, and and I don't know, like it sounds like a defense of my fellow white brothers. Yeah. But I understand like when I was young, this might have been the the thought I might have had, which which is which I've now identified as a very individualistic like capitalistic way of thinking that i was handed that was when i was like 15 or something and kevin rudd apologized my reaction was well i didn't do it to specifically you (laughs) and and so it's it's this and and it's a cultural thing that is the lack of connectedness like when i look at myself i'm very detached from my parents like i am a I'm a little isolated thing. You look at like white people culture. It's like <laughs> nuclear family, nuclear family, nuclear yeah, family, nuclear yeah. family. I like, I see my cousins once every like five years yeah. if I'm lucky. Yeah. And so it's like this cultural, this just cult- cultural experience that we have, I've come to identify it gives us the lack of ability to understand a different yeah. way of engaging in a world yeah. that then leads to maybe a someone in the comments wrote a white fragility that says, whoa, 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 like I'm not racist. I don't think these things, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. But then the alternative is for people who are like taking this time to listen and learn and be like, all right, well, tell me what I'm missing. What am I not seeing? Yeah. Um, how do we help? How, yeah. how do we help? Like what what is the, where do you see this going to the, to, to the, What's the outcome of these of these conversations riots where people and, go, okay, what's yeah. what can we with the inherited privilege that we've been given, what can be done to push equality forward? Hmm. Well, I think I think the first thing for white people to realize is that white supremacy is not a black problem. We just experience yeah. we we just experience the problems from white supremacy. White supremacy is a white problem. And white supremacy yeah. has to be dealt with by white people. That's the first thing that you can do. And, and in order to do that, you have to just start with the premise that it actually exists. <laughs> Structural racism exists. Yeah, it just exists. Yeah. White yeah. supremacy exists. White privilege exists. I think that's the first place yeah. that you have to, you know what I mean? That you have Is to... Is to recognise that it's there is to is to 
You know what I mean? You might not sit, sit comfortably with it. You know, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. He never said, oh, yeah, and it's going to be a real comfortable thing being set free. He never mentioned that. That weren't in the clause. He just said it will set you free. You know what I mean? And that's interesting. Freedom doesn't mean you're comfortable. That's a that's a very good... And, and true freedom, yeah, never comes from ease. Something has to yeah. die. Something has to yeah. die in order for something to be free. You know what I mean? Something has to die in order for something to be free. So it's a death of ideas. You know what I mean? Or or the death of or the death of ignoring. And I think once you do that, then you have to question: All right, how prevalent is it in my society? And and not only how do I benefit from it, but how do I take part in it? You know what I mean? Because ignorance isn't bliss. Um, for this, I don't think ignorance is bliss, especially for white people. I think ignorance is bondage. Because if you can't see, if you can't see where I am, that means you never see where you are. And you have to live with the consciousness that I can see where you are, but you live in ignorance of where you are. So you're never free. You know what I mean? You're never free to actually navigate the world as it is. You're just, it's just like the Matrix. You're only navigating the world the way the Matrix paints the world. But you're not navigating the world and, and, and connecting with the world the way the world actually is. You know what I mean? So I think here in a place like Australia, there are people and organizations that you can get on with. I've always said, like Australia, for instance, in terms of its modern, Australia as a, you know, you know, First Nations people have been here 60,000 years. You know what I mean? 60,000 years. They, 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 they settled the land, you know, through nation, through, through culture, through, through mob. They, they settled it. So in terms of its recent history, in terms of its recent history, its recent history, the past 200 years, 250 years, as far as nationhood is concerned, Australia is still a nation that is breastfeeding. <laughs> it, it ain't even a nation that's on its feet and running. It's a nation that's breastfeeding. Yeah. So a nation, Australia's greater modern history is still to be written, but it cannot be written sitting comfortably in the privilege of the past. It has to be written with everybody sitting at the table. So what I'm hearing is that you've, 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 sort of highlighting the fact that because we are such a young nation, we have so much potential to change. If if only we can look beyond ourselves and ask what can we learn from other cultures, other other societies, and, and, and how can we grow? Not only other cultures and other societies, but learn from the first people and the first nation that's here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Think, think about all yeah. the things that, Australians are now learning about First Nation people. Things simple as the care of the land. The things simply as the care of the land where... I haven't got that one yet. <laughs> still still coming. Caring for this land forever. Something as simple as burning the land. You know what I mean? The recent fires that we saw that devastated South Australia. Um, I just saw this um, uh, uh, documentary on ABC. Forgot the name of the guy. Aboriginal guy. And... He learned from two old elders about how you care for the land and how you burn the land. And now in Victoria, they go to him in terms of burning, you know, and, and everything. And 
basically they said that is year what you see in terms of the fire as much as people are saying it's climate change it's like nah it's just years and years and years of badly managing the land mismanagement. Yeah, yeah it's mismanagement yeah. decades of it that just caused such yeah. widespread destruction think about the amount of things they could have learned from those old aboriginal elders just about the care, caring of the land you know what I mean? You know, so I think it's not just learning. Sorry, I'm going to come back to you. It's not no, just learning right. from people around the world. It's actually learning from people within your borders. It's learning from the people within your borders, learning from the history within your borders. You know what I mean? And sitting down and learning from them and, 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 and actually understanding the story. Telling the true stories about Australia and not just the textbook stories. <laughs> because there are stories of there are stories of genocide, not just the stolen nation, but systematic genocide that Australia has to sit with. They have to actually come to terms with that story. I saw this thing on Adam Goods. It's Adam Goods, the NFL AFL player, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you seen his documentary? Fascinating, wasn't it? Awesome, oh. awesome. Video. Do, you, do you remember yeah. that scene where he went back to country and he sat with those elders yeah. around the fire? And the elders said yeah. this. They said, you know, their stories are oral history. You know what I mean? Very yeah. African. You know, our, our tradition is an oral tradition. And he said, yeah. so all the stories and all the histories contained within the story. He said, but we never tell the story until somebody asks to hear the story. Because when you ask yeah. to hear the story, you are willing and ready to learn. Be believe me, I rock, guys, I was on a plane. I, I, I was, pause. I wrote that down yeah. because it was so deep. It made me even think about the way in which we approach society as a Christian church. You're there running up and running yeah. up to people. People ain't asking you to tell them no story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, people are like, yes, thanks. And they're gone. Like, I, didn't, I, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't sign up to hear all that. So I think it's, a, it's yeah. A, um, yeah, I think not just abroad, but here, there, there, is, there, are, there are stories and learning to be done here too, especially here. So that's, 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 a, that's a position of listening then, right? Yeah. That's, that's what I'm picking up. It's, it, like it makes sense because if you can listen, then you can learn and you can see what we might look like, what society might look like from another point of view, right? But I'm also wondering what your thoughts are on the incentive structures, because if people are growing up with this subconscious white supremacy and, and partaking and just benefiting from these systems, there's incentive structures set up in place that kind of set this as a as a default worldview for like modern young white Australians coming into the world. And it's I'm like, this is how we do it because yeah. this is how you get ahead in life. And I'm wondering if like what your thoughts are. Because when you say Australia in general as a culture, as a nation, as a country has a lot to learn from even the people that were here long before mm. colonialization, mm. I'm wondering what complicity you think our current economic structure and our capital driven... Because when I look at that system, I see the, the only... If you want to like break down like modern Western white culture, yeah. you can break it down with... 
money attached to something shows its value. So if you look at a CEO of a massive bank corporation, he's earning 10 mil a year. You look at a teacher, 60. We say, oh, teachers and nurses, you're worth heaps. Not 60 million either. (laughs) No, yeah, sorry, 60,000, right? You just had a whole whole set of people online like, I'm going to Australia. (laughs) (laughs) Because at the end of the day, society values growth, money, and wealth over something else. And so what complicity do you think that the economic or capital-driven system is is almost... Those perverse incentive structures. Provides, yeah, perverse incentive structures that stop... That perpetuate the the problem. That stop the culture from even listening and then learning to then move forward. I think think it has a complete complicity. Because you remember that, I mean, capitalism is... Is, is designed to disenfranchise. It's designed to disenfranchise. You know what I mean? If somebody's going to get rich, somebody's going to get rich, you know what I mean, at the expense of somebody. They're going to get rich at the expense of somebody. You know what I mean? And because the the West is structured in such a way, it's, it's deep, you know, guys. I sit every Saturday morning with a, a group of guys, um, the Junto, Junto team. You know what I mean? We're attached to a gym, my cult, um, Cornerstone Gym in, in Newcastle. And we yeah. sit every Saturday morning, you know what I mean? All non-churched, you know, we just sit in this men's group. And it's just this place of openness, vulnerability, honesty. And it's amazing to listen to the conversations, guys, of having to deal with a society that has defined success in such a narrow, narrow way. And now that now that COVID has robbed you of your ability to provide and be successful, listening to men have to redefine their worth and redefine their value and redefine their success and redefine the value of their parenthood and their fatherhood and as husbands and as partners, it's deep. You know what I mean? Because capitalism has said, these are the confines in which you are successful. You know what I mean? You have this, 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 this. Okay, you're successful. You don't have that. You know what I mean? Sucks to be you. Yeah, it sucks to be you. You know what I mean? So if you think about that, you know, and all of the guys that I'm talking about within this space are all white guys. Now think about all of those guys on the other side of that that are structurally even left out of even beginning to have this conversation. You know? (laughs) Yeah, to being inside this narrow space. Then you'll understand that it is designed to to disenfranchise. It's designed to disenfranchise. And and in disenfranchise, uh, and in disenfranchising, it disenfranchises the people that it already sees like their lives don't matter. Their lives, you know what I mean. It already has their knee on the. It already has their knee on the neck of those people already, and it's keeping them in that space. You know what I mean. So I think that what we do and what we do here in Australia, Australia has the opportunity to actually look at everybody else, and then looking at everybody else, look honestly at ourselves here in this country, and dismantle these things and don't allow it to be. And understand that when an immigrant comes to this country, do you know, yeah, that an immigrant sees it as a mark of shame to come to this country 
and beg the mon and beg the government for money. An immigrant will work five jobs before they go and 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 they sign on. And before, yeah, before they go and ask and beg the government for money, they're like, nah, I will clean. I will do two cleaning jobs in the morning. I will do a delivery in the afternoon and I'll do two more jobs in the nighttime because they see it as a mark of shame to actually come to a place where there is so much, you know what I mean? And with their hands held out for a handout, you know what I mean? So I think if, if we can sit in this space and tell honest stories, retell the stories, look at each other's stories, understand that there is redemption to be had in, in the honesty of the moment in which we find ourselves and, and trust that the person that is listening to your story is listening with redemptive ears. You know what I mean? They're just listening to see if you're being honest about where you find yourself. Listen that your vulnerability is safe in the space where your vulnerability is being shared. You know, I feel that if we can do that, you know what I mean? Um, then yeah, you know. I mean, in terms of immigrants, we're all immigrants anyway. It, it's the first nation who gets to define who's who's immigrant and who's not immigrant. You're already sort of starting to answer it. I can already hear the answer a little bit. Um, but what's like? So I'll tell you what I'm hearing, and you tell me if there's more to it than this. I'm hearing that the change needs to come from the bottom and move up. Like the change needs to happen from like a fundamental grassroots level because these like, like what you're talking about is a change in the way we perceive one another. And that, that can't happen. See what we're doing here? Yeah. That's the change. That's the change. Yeah. But it, it also it also sounds like to hear you talk when when we touch on capitalism and and a world in which money defines everything it defines defines value of human worth it defines value of a product it defines everything and you were describing a situation of the of the men's group you're sitting in where you see the disenfranchisement that capitalism has created within yeah. even white people yeah. it, even though the system serves them better than it might yeah. serve someone who's black it's still but they are almost powerless in yeah. this system as well you still sound like when i like piece all that together and i go well like i actually feel very powerless when it comes to like changing the economic machine of which drives like you look at the environment how we treat it you look at how capitalism is kind of the cancer uh, and i don't want people to hear this and be like oh what's the alternative communism we're just talking about a structure that wants growth at all costs you know where we'll have to have those disclaimers later but but i'm looking at this system that that kind of like put it doesn't put humans at the center it puts growth and wealth at the center and that disenfranchises people and worse than that it's at the expense of those people it well it is built off the backs of certain groups of people to make other groups uh more wealthy and powerful for me it sounds super depressing (laughs) and it sounds like the picture that's been painted is like black people are like the bottom rung this economic system doesn't serve them at all and then there's like the level above where white people are like yeah well you know what we're not in immediate threat of our lives we can go to the shops we don't like interactions seem a bit normal but at the end of the day there's that rat race there i've got to pay my debts i've got my mortgage i've got my things i'm on that on that treadmill where do you see change coming in a system so do you see change (laughs) like do you you, have hope for this yeah like where where do you go from here (laughs) There, there is one thing that black people do have and we have resilience that just comes from understanding that the narratives that 
are told about us weren't created about us. You know what I mean? The narrative that we work from is the narrative that actually tells our history before colonizers messed with our, our history. So we understand the lineage we come from. You know what I mean? And then even within, you know, post-slavery, post-colonialism, you know, Bob Marley described us as the black survivors. We understand how to take what we have and, and just create a whole construct that still honors where we've come from. You know what I mean? So we do walk, we do walk with that deepened sense of, you know, who we are in the world. I say to Ria, living in this country, you know, living here, I said, listen, you do not walk like your color is a problem in this world because your problem, your color is not a problem in this world. And if somebody addresses you in this, um, in this country and somebody makes your color a problem, you will only address their problem with your color, not your problem with your color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You address their issue with your color, but not your issue because you don't have no issue. You know what I mean? This is who I am. This is how I'm born. And if you can't deal with that, then t- talk to the white because the black ain't listening. <laughs> I wish I could use that. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> that's how she navigates. And that's how black people navigate the world. That, that's how we navigate the world in which we are. We're conscious of the structural inequalities. We're conscious of the fact that we may go into a, um, a space in which we may get um, um, a promotion and we be in a workspace and it's all good at first because we're the token black person that's in there. But when we bring that black excellence, we're conscious of the backlash that takes place and how in the end we may end up being removed from this place because we're seen as a problem. We are conscious of that. And believe me, it does get tiring. It does get tiring. And so that's why in that space, that's where white people have to step in and say, no, I am not going to, if you are only giving me this job by virtue of my whiteness, but knowing that that person is better than me on every level, but you've only given me this job to, to maintain a lie that me by virtue of my whiteness is better than them. And you know that I'm not better than them, but what you're trying to do is maintain that lie. Then that can't sit comfortably with you as a white person. You can't allow capitalism or any type of structure to devalue you. Because like I said at the end, white supremacy as a structural idea started with a lie that white people had to tell themselves and then perpetuate on black people. You can't sit comfortably with that because you're never really sitting in the in, in the truth of who you really are or celebrating the fact of who I am and so that we can actually have parity, so that we can have equity. You know, so I think... I might be... I might be connecting dots that aren't here. <laughs> so correct me if the dots don't line up. But there's this, it, it's interesting. We keep coming back to stories. Mm. You're saying that you sound like you have more hope because you're telling yourself the stories of like your ancestors, your history. And you're saying, I've had to counter these stories I've been told mm. and I've had to keep telling them. Otherwise, that other story will, will become, you know will we'll kind of take over and then suddenly I think my blackness is a problem when mm. in fact it's your problem with my blackness, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but I'm also wondering if, if there's this link between the story capitalism tells 
is is this moralization of capital and wealth. If you are wealthy, it tells a story, you deserve it. So we look at Jeff Bezos and we say, he is a billion-dollar valued individual. Mm. He must be inherently more valuable or worthy yeah. for such wealth. He must wealth. be so much smarter or so much better. And or... so that story trickled down. Now, follow my dots here. So that story <laughs> trickled down leads me to walk into a job and not even be able to conceive that it's been given to me because I'm white. Because mm. if I get it, I deserve it because yeah. capitalism te- is telling me if I've got it, therefore I'm worthy. If I'm getting the money, therefore I'm worthy. Yeah. I might look at some other black person that might be more qualified say, oh yeah, but you know, I can engage with people better. Yeah. I'm going to tell myself a story that says I believe it. Yeah. And I wonder if white supremacy is that is that level above that just tells the same story again. Yeah. Because white white people on average have been wealthier, the, the technologically advanced uh, cultures that just kind of decimated everything in its path because it found guns and stuff. Yeah. Um, if that then, the story fe- followed from that uh, to to just explain the fact like, oh, well, why are we super wealthy? Well, yeah. it must be because we're better. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, it, I don't know, is like, what do you think of that train of thought? Well, it's, it's you know, it's, y- you've actually kind of hit a lot of it on the head. You know what I mean? Um, capitalism, capitalism tells you that you are you you are successful because you're wealthy. You know what I mean? Um, but I remember Chris Rock saying um, in one of his stand-ups, saying to the white members in his audience, he said, "You would never swap your life with me, and I'm rich." Yeah. <laughs> he said he he's bought a house in the Hamptons. I bought a house in the Hamptons. And just to show you how it even works amongst the super rich, he says, I bought a house in the Hamptons. He said, the black people that live in the Hamptons, he says, I've got a house there. He said, Jay-Z's got a house there. He just named some of the biggest stars in the world, you know, and we've all got houses there. Now, as far as the world is concerned, we are exceptional black people. And it's, uh, as it were, that superstardom that got us a house in the Hamptons. He said, do you know what my neighbor does? He said, my neighbor's a dentist. He said, my neighbor's a dentist. (laughs) You know what I mean? So even at that level, it still works the same way. It still works the same way. Oh, yeah, you're rich and you're great, but uh, you ain't as great as this person. You got 10 billion, they got 10 billion, but yeah, you still ain't as great as them. You know what I mean? Even with your billions, the structure still sees you in a different way. You know what I mean? The construct still marginalizes your wealth and puts your wealth over in that space over here. You know what I mean? And so, and, and, that's, and, that, and that construct is just built on, in, in, on, on the way in which we, we, we are being told to view each other, to view each other's worst, to view each other's person to view each other's importance that is the that is the greatest danger of this whole of this whole construct it is designed for us not to see each other's humanity not to see the worth of each other's humanity not to see the value of each other's humanity and that's why i said it will be the death of all of us as a construct it will be the death of all of us first of all it will be the death of our relationships First of all, it would be the death of us seeing each other in, um, in, in any type of valued way. It will be the death of us actually, actually responding 
to each other's, to, to the plight of each other. And I think that's what you're seeing in America. America saw its death when America saw that white officer murder that black person. Yeah, yeah. Because it got to the space where everybody was conscious. We're looking at a murder here. We're looking at this policeman murder this person. When, when America saw that, they, they, they immediately saw themselves. In me, America immediately, there's a guy called Eddie Glaude, brilliant, brilliant black intellectual. And he did this interview on CNN last year. And he, keep, he said, we have to stop saying, that's not us. You know, we see this and, and that's just not us as Americans. That's not, and he said, this is us. We have to stop saying, we have to stop saying this is us. This is us. And I think when, when and you know, because that's what COVID has done. COVID may prove to be the actual turning point in this, at the beginning of this very decade, you know, because COVID... COVID actually has locked everybody in the space that everyone's forced to watch their TV. You know what I mean? Any other time, people would have just run into their busy days, run onto their busy lives and just ignored it. But you can't ignore it. It's on your TV. It's on, it's on cable. It's on your phone. It's across every social media. You scroll. You can't miss it. And you're forced to watch this murder over and over and over and over again. And America saw itself. And then black people of color in different parts of the country. I've, I've, I've had friends, one of my friends, close friends that I grew up with. He was murdered by the police in, in police custody in London. They said he hung himself. And believe me, he was not the hanging himself kind of black person. You know what I mean? It was obvious that he was murdered in police custody. And he wouldn't have been the first, not in, not in England. You know, and so everywhere people of color are in the Western world, and every you know, not just black people, but people of color. This is this is one of those those moments where we we are all forced to seriously just sit and look at humanity. I think all of us saw our humanity. You know, we we couldn't. You can no longer. You can't even look with sympathetic eyes, because sympathetic eyes is thinking about how you feel about it. With this, you have to look with empathetic eyes. You have to actually feel yeah. for him. You have to feel for him. I yeah. saw, I saw, a, I saw somebody holding up a plaque that said, um, "When George Floyd called for his mum, when George, when um, George Floyd called for his mamas, all the mamas in the world just stood up and responded." You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, every mother just. Their heart was wrenched. Black mothers, white mothers, Hispanic mothers, Asian mothers, Latina, everyone. And, and so that's why you see this massive groundswell of humanity. So do you think that that's what's missed before, that empathy? Yeah, I think empathy is the key to it. Um, I think love is the key to it. <laughs> and I don't use that word lightly. I don't use that word lightly, guys, because... You know, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And the one thing that I've become conscious of is that love is a bloody hard ask. It's a hard ask because love is always other-centered first. And it means that you have to suspend all judgment. You have to go further. You have to go deeper. Love also means that you have to cut loose. <laughs> nah. I have to cut you loose. <laughs> I have to love 
I have to love them enough to cut you loose. <laughs> yeah, you know, even Jesus did that. Jesus said, you know, if you read the Gospels and you read the day in which Jesus, um, you know, the, the, the morning of the Last Supper, you know, if you put all the Gospels together, Jesus was trying to save Judas all day. Judas, go with the guys, sort out the room. Judas, make sure that this one has it. Judas, God, you know, and then at the then when they get there, Judas wants to leave. No, 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 we're going to do the Passover. All right, Lord, I need to leave. Sit down, man, sit down, man. Jesus gets out, washes his feet. All right, Lord, I have to leave. Sit down, boy, sit down. You know what I mean? This is my, you know, this is my body that is broken for you. Eat it, Judas. This is my blood that is spilled for you. You don't need to do this, Judas. This is the new covenant in my blood. You don't need to do this, Judas. And Judas still turns around and he says, Lord, I've got to do. And what does Jesus do? All right. What you do, go do it. Because my love can't help you. And I now have to love them enough to let you go. I actually have to love you enough to let you go. And love is the hardest ask. Love is the hardest ask. Empathy is going to do it. D. Edwards wrote here, yeah, empathy is currency and love is currency. And God only trades with the currency of love. And he has to trade the currency of love in the reality of evil. That's why it's difficult. Yeah, God isn't managing his mess. He's managing our mess. You know, so where do you see these, um, like these riots and stuff that are happening all around the world? Like this is, like I was saying before, with this empathy thing. Like so- something seems to be different this time. Like we've seen similar things before, whether it was um, uh, the two guys before. Um, what was his name? Trayvon. Yeah, Trayvon Martin. Trayvon like Martin. there's this has happened before, but this. For what? some reason, seems do you, different. Do you think this is different? Yeah. What's your feel of it? Is it different? Is it like the COVID thing, or it's it's no different in terms of what was done. What is different is in yeah. terms of the national and the international response. That is different. You know what I mean? I think it's different in the minds of people because they're realizing that democracy over promises and under delivers. You know what I mean? That it takes from the it takes from the absolute poor and gives to the filthy rich who don't need it. You know what I mean? That it marginalizes, it marginalizes, and um and um 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 marginalizes and 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 disenfranchises people, you know, um that it will even create a narrative, like even create the narrative that you see now where people are protesting, you know, the protests and the riots are two different things. Looting is looting, but the protesting is is the deep, you know what I mean? Now, I'm from the 80s, so I am part of that generation that burnt down London, that burnt down London, you know what I mean? But we run, we ran, we ran and fought pitch battles with the police in the streets, you know, and we burnt down government buildings because, you know, like Luther King said, you know, riots are the language of the unheard, you know what I mean? And, I, and I'm not condoning it. I'm saying I understand that rioting part, but in terms of the protesting, the protesting is the language also of dissatisfaction. Well, and yeah, see, I would even I don't I, I would even like, go further. Like, I don't I don't mind your distinction. Yeah, at, at, but for me, I think there is a righteous justification to a riot in this situation, or even what like, I don't is have a problem revolution. With that. Like at some point, 
revolutions. Like now, you know, it's different words for different things. But on some point, protest, yeah, sure. But when when things happen time and time again, I feel a, that's too system, tame now. It's almost like, like a protest is too small now. If revolution happened, like what does revolution look like if not what exactly what we're seeing? And sure, there might be looting and people using it for their own gain. But if but if but like you were saying, the, this is the system. <laughs> this is the systematic result of a capitalist system that forces people into, like, like you're saying, Eddie. It forces the lowest rungs of society to react when they are forced to give everything to the highest in in society with nothing to lose. With nothing, they have nothing to lose, and so maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm too white. But I don't, I don't have a problem with it being a riot because I, I, I can't see another way. Like, yeah, I understand. I, yeah, I, I understand the distinctions. <laughs> when, when all peaceful, when all peaceful means, I think you when all peaceful means are, are, are exhausted and nothing. And I think what you're going to continue yeah. to see is more and more and more protests. They actually say this weekend they're expecting a million people to end up in Washington, wow. D.C. They're expecting a million people to march. That is a whole new um, American revolution. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I guarantee you, yeah, I guarantee you 700,000 of those, you know, or maybe 600,000 of those million people are going to be white people. Yeah. There's going to be a huge march in Brisbane tomorrow. There's going to be something in Sydney tomorrow. There's going to be something in Newcastle, you know, uh, my city tomorrow. There's going, to, there's going to be, I mean, it's all over the world. And I think what it is, is humanity wanting a different view of itself. Yeah, I think it's humanity wanting yeah. like, no, I, I, yeah, I want to see something else. <laughs> You, you're talking about the importance of injecting humanity and human mm. connectedness and, and, and looking in the mirror as to we say we believe something, but let's look hard in the mirror and say, are we this country? Yeah. Are we a part of, do we benefit from this system that takes lives from people? How do we inject the humanity into, into, a, into a system that is built to tell stories that lead to oppression. How do we trickle up the humanity into a, a existent, a soulless yeah. structure yeah. Yeah. that doesn't put value on human life? It puts dollars on it. You have to do it in the place. You have to do it in the places where we create the next generation. So you have to. You have to. Um, you have to get this into the ed- education system. You have to get this into the curri- curriculum. You have to be getting into schools and and teaching young people um, just about these structural differences. You have to be advocating here in Australia for things like the Uluru Statement. Something as simple as that. Um, um, advocating for the Uluru Statement, you know what I mean? So, so that within their space, within their space, you know, they can have voice. What is it they're calling for? They're calling for 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 voice. They're calling for treaty. I forgot the third one. That that that's bad of me. You know what I mean? Um, but they're calling for those things that they're calling for voice. They're calling for treaty. They're calling for truth. That, those are the things that they're calling for. You know what I mean? 
voice um, within the constitution, treaty in terms of the way the constitution works with them as a people, and then truth in the way the stories are told and the narratives are told. I think those are the spaces in which you can actually begin. You can begin in those spaces. Begin in those spaces. Get involved in those things. You know what I mean? It, it sounds like some people might be expecting and looking at these protests like me, impatient Conrad, who's like, man, how long does it take? I've been a, I've been politically aware for five years. Nothing's yeah. changing. Why is it changing yet? <laughs> my, my, I'm just inherently impatient. But So people might be looking for like this you know, quick change, but you seem to be talking about change happens generationally. It happens yeah. as a move, as a slow march of progression forwards. My wife was reading a book. It said, uh, once upon a time, everyone believed the earth was flat. And then who came along? Galileo? Who was it? Copernicus. Copernicus. Yeah. He came along and said, you know, the earth's actually round. And then everyone went on believing the earth was flat. And then they died. And then the next generation grew up believing the earth was round. Yeah. And that's kind of what I'm hearing for you yeah. being like, invest in connection, education, with, story. With the younger generation. With the, with the new generation. Yeah. like Yeah. And then there are things that, there are things that um, can't wait until the next generation. You know, there are, there are policies that need to yeah. be passed. There are laws that need to be passed. There are people that need to have their space yeah. at the table yeah. now. You know what I mean? They're, they're, these things need to be taking place now so you can advocate. You can advocate and be part of the movements that are advocating for those things that allow people to come to the table that make sure that these things stay and these things are in, you know, these things are embraced and these things are affirmed and these things are chased. And I feel like those are the places that you can make, you can make, you can make the difference. You know, I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a Jesus follower. So let me link it in with with Jesus speaking to the Church of Ephesians. Yeah, Jesus speaks to the Church of Ephesus. Yeah, Church of Ephesians talking to the Church of Ephesus. Jesus talks to the and I'm this is for me now where the church has to make the difference. You know what I mean? Jesus talks to the Church of Ephesus and he says to them, "I love you, people. You protect me. You bless my name. You you know you get rid of the." The, the the Nicolaitans, you you know, you get rid of the false prophets, blah, blah, blah. And then he turns around and he says, but I've got one thing against you. He said, you've lost your first love. And you're thinking about that and you're like, hold on, I thought you just said that they do love you, you know. He said, you've lost your first love. It's not until you go back and read the book of Ephesians that you realize what he's talking about. When you go back and read the book of Ephesians and you realize the way the church is structured and the way Paul talks about the church, talks about them being new creations, talks about them being an alternative humanity, talks about them being all those things that the kingdom has built them to be, you realize that Jesus is talking about them. He said, you love me so much. You love the structure of religion so much. You love the organization of the church so much. You've left no room to love each other. It's each other that you've lost your first love for. You know what I mean? And so his 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 antidote was remember, repent, and do. Remember the reason why you first loved each other. Remember that you're a new creation. Remember that I've created you as an alternative humanity. Remember that you are um that I've broken I've broken down the middle walls be, be to, um between you. Repent. Repent isn't like what the colonials used to do or the fire breathing Adventists used to do. Repent. Repent actually means look again, consider again, think again. Why? 
think you know again. I mean? Yeah, think again. Remember, think again. Think again about the value of this person. Think about what it is that you're called to. Think about what your place in, in this world is. And then he said, once you've remembered and, and you've thought again, he said, do, do those things. And I feel that that's where we can start. That's yeah. where we as a church community can start to do that with each other. And that's what, and I think that's what we as a society can do. Remember, remember where we came from. Remember the people who were here before us. Think again about the value of those people. Think again about the value of nationhood. You know what I mean? Can Australia honestly be Australian with no reflection of the original First Nation people in, in, this, in, in, in anything about Australian culture? Can a New Zealander be Kiwi without no reflection of the Maori culture. That's impossible. You can't talk about your Kiwi and have no no type of reflection or or no type of um, recognition of, of, of Maori culture. But it's, it's impossible to do that. And it's the same with Australians. Australians cannot truly be Australian without no proper recognition of, of, of First Nation culture, of indigenous culture, and an acceptance of that culture into what it means to actually be Australian. You know, so remember, think again, and then do those things. Fight for those things. Die for those things. You know what I mean? Um, 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 plot for those things. Dream for those things. You know, I think that that's, that's, that, and that is the revolution. That is the revolution. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm hearing like, that that idea of repent but in the definition of look again think again yeah. that's i guess uh to to make it you know make the obvious even more real for even me personally when when everyone's posting those black squares on on blackout yeah. tuesday right and it's yeah. like listen and learn mm. uh for for white people like us it's this it's this listen and, and learn because when you listen you learn to think again. You learn yes. to look back and go, to change is your mind. the culture yeah. that I thought I was a part of really what I was told? Is the story yeah. I was told really true? And if I listen long enough, can I see myself through the eyes of somebody else? Mm. And that, I think, is, is a very different difficult thing to do but i think and this is what we've been learning through the podcast as we do it as we do it with everybody like yeah. how do we look to you kind of thing yeah it's actually like if you love just growth and expansion and, and yeah. like you're Learning. saying freedom yeah. but in the sense of it's not comfortable it's yeah. it, you want to go that way but you also realize it's There's not comfortable so yeah. like listening and looking again and reevaluating my very australian identity my very Australian culture and ideas that I think I was handed yeah. was, well, is that right? And if I listen, do I need to reevaluate yeah. who that excludes yeah. and what systems are stacked in my favor and yeah. not in someone else's? Yeah. There, there are, there are, there are a raft of, and I, I don't know them. I don't know them all, but there are a raft of great, um, um, Aboriginal Indigenous thinkers and writers in the culture, and you need to have them in this space. You need to have them in this space and 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 journey with them. Yeah, journey with them and unpack, unpack, uh, and and unpack Australia through their eyes and look at it through their eyes. You know what I mean? 
and hear Australia through their eyes. You know what I mean? Um, they don't want they don't want a dis they don't want a dismantling of the whole country. They just want a, a dismantling of the constructs that hold them from the fullness of this country and the fullness of their own identity oh, within man. their own land. You know what I mean? That's all they want. You know yeah. what I mean? It's not that they ain't willing, they're not willing yeah. to share the space with anybody else. Then, yeah, they, they, of course, you know, they, they just want you to understand their space and understand their land and understand this world and understand the way the world now has been formed through them, through their eyes and not through not through uh, a colonialist writing of who they are, you know what I mean? And and I think that that would be that would be uh, um, that would be that would be some deep conversations because I love what you two are doing here in the culture. Believe me, it's life. Believe me, and 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 I just want to affirm both of you. You know, I'm just like, all right, these guys. <laughs> you know, and I know the background you come from as far as an Adventist background. You know what I mean? So I'm like, I know that you ain't on none of I know that I know that you ain't on none of the potluck cookouts. You know what I mean? Ain't <laughs> that yet. Ain't no one inviting you for gluten steaks. You know what I mean? Ain't no one inviting you. But honestly, you two are life. Your life in the culture, your life. And I'm and I'm trying to say that without feeling emotional right here, because this is the revolution. This is the revolution. You know what I mean? And the reason why the revolution won't be televised is because the revolution is going to actually be across social media. <laughs> you know what I mean? Do you know the amount of people in England who are friends of mine who are actually watching the two of you now? All of them, they're here and they're watching and they're listening and they're like, this is gold. This is this is great, you know what I mean. And they're just impressed. Uh, you two just listening and learning and absorbing and 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 doing, you know, navigating navigating your world, you know what I mean. Navigating your world and and rethinking your world. And this is the revolution, guys. This is this is where it starts. This is the, you know we are the revolution. The kingdom is here. This is the kingdom. The kingdom is here. You know, <laughs> this is the kingdom. The kingdom yeah. is here, you know, and, you know, the kingdom is operating in all spaces. You know, the kingdom is operating in all spaces. You don't have to, you know, I'm, 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 I'm not doing it from a church pulpit. You know, you know, I'm not pastoring anymore. Yeah. I'm out here doing consultancy yeah. now. But the kingdom is wherever I am, the kingdom is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Wherever. And yeah. so it's, it's beautiful, yeah. the fact that you're, challenging every ideas you're challenging every idea so that people can people can understand the world in a much broader space and understand the world in a much broader way and and sit down and navigate it better that's what you're doing you know and so you know that's the revolution and and that's and that's the that's the whole idea with 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 what we're talking here with this whole idea of race and these constructs like i said it's an idea it's an idea the construct, every construct is an idea that creates a narrative, that manufactures a teaching, that 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 creates a practice, that produces a policy, that creates an action, and that creates a neck, a knee on the neck. You know what I mean? You know, and it's it's all right, you know what I mean? Because even the family of Floyd George, they're saying, Yeah, we want these men to go to for we want these men to go to jail for the knee on the neck. 
But what we really want to jail and what we really want to get rid of is the original idea that encourages the net, you know what I mean? The construct that encourages that behavior. And, and that's where, you know what I mean? That's where it is. Dr. Drew 84, you know what I mean? Brilliant psychologist. She she just wrote, you are our allies. You know what I mean? She just wrote, you are our allies. You know, brilliant. You know what I mean? Brilliant psychologist yeah. in London. Firstly, thank you for your time and for mm. your voice in this. Mm. And and also thank you for seeing what we're trying to do as as a valuable thing. That That is encouraging to us. Mm. I, I think I speak to, for Conrad when I say that. But do you... What you're talking about beyond what we've done here tonight, do you see this happening anywhere else? Do you see hope for what you're talking about, or is it just is 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 this too small? Like what we're doing, is it too small? Is there something more that we could be doing, or, or like give us your thoughts around that? You know, you know that whole concept of the ripple effect. You know, what I mean, a a, 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 a a pebble that you drop in in the, in the sea here creates a tsunami at another. I think that everything that we do combined together creates a tsunami, you know? And so this, this isn't too small, you know what I mean? This isn't too small. Um, the mere fact that you're engaged in this conversation, the mere fact that you have a platform in which now when other people come on, you're able to challenge their assumptions and the people that they come on with and their their community comes on to listen to the conversation, you're able to actually expand a consciousness and a conscious thought. Um, the fact that I will carry this conversation into my community and then in the future, I will invite you into my community to extend this conversation with my community. No, there's nothing that is small. There is nothing that is small, you know what I mean? Um, we want we want the massive structural changes, but the massive structural changes come once you begin to have these conversations in the places where, you know, we talk about, you know, uh, you know, where Jesus gave the parable of the talent. One man was vexed because he only had one talent and another had 10 pieces, you know what I mean? Not understanding, and I, you know, I say this to young ministers all the time, stop being stop being um stop being jealous of the gifts that another man has like your platform here my platform will reach um um my platform might reach a thousand people and your platform will reach twenty thousand people and I'm vexed you know what I mean because why isn't my platform reaching the twenty thousand that you're reaching but your platform only reaches twenty thousand people. Whereas my platform will reach 10,000 people, but every one of those thousand people will reach 50,000 people. Now think about the exponential growth of that. You know what I mean? Like you will have a conversation here. You will have a conversation here with one person and one person will listen to your conversation and that person has the ability within where they work or where they operate to influence 50,000 people and you don't even know that. And they may take your conversation and put it in their workplaces, you know, it, they may have a like a, a weekly podcast or something to inspire and they will take your conversation that probably only a 1,000 people listen to 
and then put it out to 50,000 people to listen to. So I think that what we do here is we speak life in all the spaces that we are. And the life that we speak, we just have to speak it and trust that that will go into a wider consciousness. And I believe that it goes into a wider consciousness and reaches a wider network. And all of those consciousness and networks come together. And that is the thing that creates the change. We are part of a consciousness of change that is taking place worldwide. So when we discuss like this, we are moving in the flow of that consciousness. And I'm hearing, I'm hearing actually like a quite a, a beautiful hope in humanity. Yeah. You know, some people might be, you know, some people might listen and hear like, like white people vilified. But what I, I hear is, uh, is a hope in humanity and that, and that bringing in, of the verse of with the kingdom of heaven being not just here and amongst us, but amongst the conversations and the interactions mm. and the journeying that can take place, that movement forward, mm. movement towards truth. I was talking to a friend today. Movement towards truth isn't necessarily the acceptance of a new idea, but it's the process at which we challenge and push and converse and connect even if our ideas remain the same, but shift slightly and change slightly because of the process of connection and interactions that we have. Mm. I really like the picture you've painted of the connectedness of humanity that ultimately forms the kingdom of heaven that Mm. is here, that is now, that is amongst, that is within. No, Craig Ware said it so beautifully. He said, you can count the seeds in an apple, but you can't count the apples in a seed, which is so deep. The process that I think is the process of being human Mm. is the process of looking at yourself in the mirror, but then also getting someone else to look at you and say, what do you see? And, and and somebody's got to hold that mirror up. And that's the human process. I think that, um, is, is something that we were joking about. No one wants to listen to our podcast because, yeah. <laughs> because it's not, it's we're not going to make too you rich. uncomfortable. <laughs> it's going to make you a little bit uncomfortable because you might listen to some challenging ideas and things yeah. like that. But I've had, I've spoken to a few people who have engaged with it and they said, yeah, like I didn't want to listen to it at first, but there's this deeper progression towards truth that we encounter, yeah. even if we don't agree. That humanness yeah. of the person that you might disagree with, but the human that's standing with those ideas, we can all connect with yeah. and we can at least compare our journey and where we are with them and be like, oh, well, at the end of the day, you're human, I'm human. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not be divided by this, by just a simple idea, by a yeah. by intellectual construct. Yeah. Why is and that that's, that's what the divides? key word. It is a construct. Yeah. 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 It's literally an invisible line yeah. drawn. Don't be afraid to live outside of that construct. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, don't be afraid. I was in South Australia. Um, I'll tell you this story and then I'll let you go. I was in South Australia and um, um, speaking down there, I was out with a, a, a pastor friend and, and somebody that I mentor and we was having some tea. Uh, having, we, had, we had dinner and then we went and we was outside a coffee, um, coffee house having some coffee. And this um, woman came up to me, asked me for money. You know what I mean? Aboriginal woman. Um, I don't give people money um, as a rule. When somebody's asking for money, I don't give them money. But I said, are you hungry? So she said, yeah. I said, you want something to eat? And she said, she said, yeah. So the pastor that I was with said that she would go back to the place where we were and she would order some food. So I sat down, she stood up. I said, sit down, sit down, sis, sit down with me. You know what I mean? I said, you want a coffee? So I got her a coffee and we started having coffee. 
while we was waiting for this food to come back. So anyway, we got into a conversation. You know, she asked um, how old I am. You know, it got into the kid's age and then she found out my age and she got F sake. Now you're not that. Come on now. And we was cracking up about it. We was cracking up about it. And then she said, what, what, what do you do? And she, I said, I'm a pastor. And when I said it, she pulled back from me. She physically pulled back from me. And then she leaned into me and she said, what do you see when you look at me? It was, it was, the question was so deep, it, it actually threw me. She said, what do you see when you look at me? And I looked into her face. I looked into her face and I said, I see struggle. Um, I said, I see story. Um, I said, uh, I, I, I see, um, I mentioned something else that I see. And then she said, do you see passion? You know what I mean? And I looked in her face again and I said, wow. yeah. I see passion. She said, do you see love? And actually I said, I see love, you know. And when she told me her age, I thought that she was in her, like, in her late 60s and she was actually younger than me. She was actually younger than me. You wow. know what I mean? And the question struck me so deep and it struck me deeply because she gave me permission, number one, to see her, and then number two, she gave me permission to talk about what it was that I see. And I think once we sit down and, and we begin to unravel this construct, I think for white people, they can't be afraid to sit down. Because remember I said it, and, and I'll say it again, white supremacy is not a black problem. It's a white problem. We are just bearing the brunt. And, and, and George Floyd is the... George Floyd is the is the is the epitome of that. George Floyd lying on the ground is not the problem. George F Floyd is experiencing the brunt of the problem. The problem is kneeling on his neck. That is white supremacy. That construct is on his neck. And only white people can do that, you know what I mean? But I think it's like you said being under understanding the story and then understanding that when you ask the person what is it that you see when you look at me, the person will tell the truth, but the person will tell it with such redemptive love to say, but you don't have to be that because you now understand that this is a construct that is saying that's who you are. But now that you understand what that construct is, you know what I mean? Now that you've remembered who you are, you've looked again and thought about where you are, you can do different. So let's do different together. Let's do different together. Let's teach our children to do different. Let's educate the people around us. Let's create these communities that do different and think different and act different and support different. You know what I mean? And I think that when we do that, when we do that, that that's when we're experiencing that, that revolution. That's when we're experiencing the kingdom. That, that's when we are doing that deep, that deep work of love, that uncomfortable work of love. You know? So, yeah. Yeah. I'm up for that. I'm up for that Christianity. All the rest of it, that's just bubbles and smoke screens. You know what I mean? Yeah. That just raises one more question, sorry. Because this oh, is something that are you we... Ask what <laughs> yeah. All right, you ask it. I want to yeah. see if it's the same yeah. question I asked. So this is a bit of a theme that we've had running recently in, in our podcast. Yeah. I want to know from you, did you find the structure of the church 
a limiting factor to your ability to do this hard work? I was actually going to... Tell me if this is the same question. Yeah. I was going to ask, what do you see when you look at the current structure Yes, it's essentially the, the same the question. Same, we're, yeah. on the same page. <laughs> yeah. we're on the same page, yeah. yeah. I see the church in conflict with the kingdom. The church doesn't always do what the kingdom does. You know what I mean? So when we're talking about yeah, these, when we look at these yeah. issues of sexism within the church and racism within the church and the treatment of female pastors and all of these things, what we are looking at the church, we're looking at the church in conflict with the kingdom because the kingdom has already defined everybody's part and everybody's place and everybody's value. But when the church now takes on the ideas of society and uses those ideas of abusive patriarchy, you know what I mean, and does all of those things, then you you begin to see the church in conflict. Um, I, I, I've, I've never found the church, I've never found the church to be, um, I've never found the church to be restrictive of the way I do ministry, but I do know that the church has always been uncomfortable with the way I do ministry. Has always been uncomfortable with the the, the distance that I will, I, I believe that my calling takes me, you know what I mean? Or how far my calling takes me or the places that the my, my calling takes me. I know the church has always sat uncomfortable with that because the church has a very limited view of what ministry looks like, the construct of ministry and the people that we deal with as far as ministry is concerned. And so... Uh, and is, is that because of the culture it's built on? That's because of the culture it's built on. That's because of a certain level of what I call theological colonialism. Um <laughs> That's the sociologist in me speaking now. Well, there's the famous, uh, not so famous Richard Raw quote that says, where culture meets religion, culture wins. Every time. Every time. Every time. Every time. Every time. There, there, I mean, there was a lot that we spoke about and, and went over. If you have any, you want to drill down into specific ideas, send us an email. And whether you agree or disagree with some of the ideas shared with Eddie, maybe you're someone who's white, just kind of being like, I, I yeah. don't agree with what he's yeah. saying. I hope Or if it, you're really cranky that we said riots and not protests. Yeah, if you're cranky about the delineation is. of riots <laughs> yeah. and protests. Like, yeah. hopefully, like, what we can get past is these invisible lines we draw in our minds around ideas and say, if you're on this side of the idea, you're in. If you're on that side, you're out. Yeah. And hopefully we can see the connectedness the and humanity. where Eddie's coming from yeah. and, and how we can at least glimpse the world through his eyes that mm. we wouldn't have gotten the opportunity to do before. So, Eddie... Amazing. Thanks so much. And, and let me just say to anyone who's ever going to listen to this, don't listen to it, this and talk about me. Listen to this and talk to me. Like the guy said, if you disagree, please inbox me. How am I to grow if I don't know the spaces in which you feel I can grow? Or if you've got an opinion that could actually broaden my consciousness, then help me. Yeah, man. Don't just, don't just take a slice of this and then post it. Just to, to, you know, and I'm saying that as a disclaimer because so many people do that with me. (laughs) Yes, yes. And and hopefully, like, that's the culture we want to have as part of Ideas Digest. One where, listen, you can... can, 
you could rain fire in our direction, but yeah. you know what's likely to happen? You're likely to be on the podcast yes. and you're likely to yes. be doing it to us in person. Yes. And we'll just try and understand where you're coming from. <laughs> yeah. like, okay, like, okay, like riots and protests, what's the difference? You yeah. know, yeah. like, is a riot necessarily bad or is yeah. it blah, blah, blah? Like, hey, we could, yeah. we could have those, yeah. those, those discussions. Um, yeah. And if you if you have any ideas or any suggestions, Eddie and I and Cam, we don't we all love to chat. So hit yeah. us up in the DMs, and we can yeah. we can continue the discussion. Hopefully, this is the beginning of many more discussions to come. It's been an amazing chat with you, Eddie. Uh, we'll be in touch.